Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live, CLNS Radio, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for Boston sports. I'm your host, Justin Poulin. With me, John Duke. You can follow us on Twitter at CSL underscore Justin and at CSL underscore Duke. John, this game today uh and i guess we're recording today because it's going to feel a little bit more like a post game show when it rolls out monday morning but i'll tell you that's five straight games and a pair of injuries to i want to say key matchups against the celtics i don't necessarily want to say that they're key players to washington or chicago but i do want to say that both were strategically very important against the Celtics. Now, looks like Morris might not even be able to play in Game 2. Certainly we will find out. This was a quick turnaround game. Wasn't really happy about that. We haven't even had a chance to talk about the Bulls series, which was essentially a sweep after losing the first two at home. How are you feeling right now? Because it wasn't too long ago I was ready to give up on the entire season. I thought it was over. <laughs> Uh, look, they, they, they were, things turned around pretty fast, right? I mean, that was, who, who would have thought, you know, where we were two weeks, two weeks ago, a week ago, we were feeling pretty good. And now, as you said, it's five games in, things are rolling. Uh, it's kind of a microcosm of today's game. You know, it started off pretty crappy, you know, down 16 zip, down 36 to 20, uh, not feeling great about things, but it felt like there was a, there was a progression a momentum there that once it started rolling, you felt like eventually they were going to break through. And, you know, I, I want to, you're right. I mean, the, the injury to, to Markeith Morris was definitely helpful, uh, just as Rondo's injury was helpful. I will Probably, obviously, we don't know a whole lot more other than what happened in game one. But my own belief is that the Rondo injury, yes, helped the Celtics. 
but I don't think it changed the result in any any meaningful way. And I think probably the same is true with Markeith Morris. I don't think that his presence is going to change any one individual series, but I think it will change or individual game. But I think it will change individual matchups and in how Brad will attack this uh, Washington Wizards team because without Markeith Morris on the floor, it allowed him to go small and and be quite effective, particularly in that second quarter and and that run in the second quarter, but in particular. In that third quarter, when things went pushed way ahead, um, really uh, unbelievable efforts there on, on a number of people's fronts. But you got to tip your hat to Kelly Olynyk. Uh, yeah, we can talk about Jalen Brown reluctantly. Later on. Can I say reluctantly? <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, you know, I get it. But man, what he was a beast down there, and and he did what he had to do. He took advantage of of the opportunity the situation he had and and really he was the i think you know i think there's a lot of uh people to to you know give kudos to for today's game you got to start with kelly olenic not because it was the most important but it certainly was pivotal in in turning the tide of today's game well they needed somebody to be aggressive they needed to do something to get a spark because shots weren't falling and he was working it inside and out and also Gortat was getting away with a lot of clutching and grabbing early on. I actually think the game, from his standpoint, cleaned up after that first quarter. But early on, he was doing a lot of grabbing uh, for offensive rebounds, etc. And Kelly was doing a little bit of a return serve and pushing. And then I think the officials called, you know, enough enough uh, fouls to rein it in a little bit. I mean, I think we've seen a lot of ticky-tacky calls in the postseason, not just this game, but in general, seems like they haven't really let the players really play, and some of the calls are curious, but we'll let that go and just go back to Kelly and say the fact that Kelly really did ignite them, and he played aggressive. I mean, I was just waiting for him to pull Gortat's shoulder out of socket, because they needed to do something. (laughs) They needed to do something, and Gortat was eating them alive, and Morris was a big part of that. You noted that in the third quarter, things really turned around. They were able to go small, and that was the IT&D lineup with Marcus Smart starting the second half. Amir Johnson really struggling in the postseason to make his mark. Maybe it's matchups or, you know, maybe it's something else. But Gerald Green, given the opportunity to start, really was all part of that being very slow. I think when they got small and they got aggressive, things Things definitely really turned the tide, but early in that game, to your point, Kelly Olenek deserves an enormous amount of kudos for just getting getting that team righted, getting them back on track. And it's what is it about this Celtics club that just has to dig a super huge hole to to try to climb out of? Because they're so it's almost like they've gotten so good at it they don't even get nervous when it happens anymore. I know. It's like they need, they need that, you know. Adversity. <laughs> yes, the chip on their shoulder to grow, you know, two and a half sizes that day, you know. It's like the Grinch. It, that's what happens. It's like, oh, now things are really at its worst. Now we can go out and just do unbelievably good. You know, that's kind of, they're kind of like the Grinch in that way, I guess. I don't know. I just think, you know, you, you looked at that, what the way that started out. 
And it's not like they were taking bad shots. They just were missing those shots. They were missing shots that they should make. They were moving the ball. Things you know, defensively, the effort wasn't there, but offensively, it certainly was. But I think I think the difference was bringing Kelly in early for for uh, uh, they brought in brought him in for Al, and then and then going and, and getting Marcus in the game early on. Those two changes, I thought. For for Marcus changing the kind of as you as you said the attack side of things the, the aggressiveness that intensity I think he turned that Kelly using his matchup to the Celtics advance offensively until people found their found their way and and it, you know it didn't take long once he started going then you know it started going and he hit those two threes after the, the tooth got knocked out I mean but none of that happens if Kelly Olynyk doesn't. Kind of do what we, what everyone has been pleaded with him to do since he got here, which is to be aggressive. Don't double clutch and just go up and, and, and be aggressive with, with your, with his, his ample skills. And that's why he's such a frustrating player because you see those games and then you see him, you know, hesitating and not in playing unsure. He has done, and I think as you said it last week, you know, where has this Kelly Olenek been? This is the guy that that you want to give almost a max contract to because he's just done such great work for the Celtics club pretty much regularly here in the postseason. Yeah, he's been pretty reliable, and the finishing around the rim, even some, I want to call them pseudo alley-oops, but the way that they lob the ball over the defense, and then he's able to, to finish creatively underneath. I mean, it used to be they would never go down. Now some of those creative finishes are dropping, which is nice to see. And it gives them that inside-out game that they wouldn't ordinarily have. We talk about that 16-0 start for Washington and what a dry spell offensively they were in. And Kelly Olynyk definitely solved that. But defensively was also a huge issue. There was no effort on D, and that's where Marcus Smart comes to play. We look at this next game, game two, and I called into the CLNS radio postgame show. Bobby Manning was hosting, and we were talking about it like, what lineup are we going to see from Brad Stevens moving forward? And they asked me what I would do. And I almost think we got to see Jalen Brown finish some critical minutes in this game. And as much as I would like to say that Marcus Smart should get the start, yeah, see how I see what I did there. Marcus Smart should get the start, but at the same time, um, I'm not sure that it works well. I like having Marcus and Kelly come off the bench to ignite. I like Terry Rozier next to Marcus Smart for a couple of minutes. Brad has a lot of different looks he can throw. I'd almost say you let Jalen Brown have his Gerald Green moment, and Brad has always had a short hook with Gerald, I mean Jalen, if he doesn't play well. So if it doesn't work out, it would look very similar to the way that this game started out when Gerald Green just didn't have it. Now, Brad went to Amir Johnson, who still doesn't have it, and then continued to look to Kelly Olenek and Marcus Smart. But they really solved the defensive intensity issue and then the inability to score issue together. And that was that was a good substitution pattern. It's amazing they were able to climb out. The other thing that happened that we didn't talk about yet is Isaiah Thomas losing his tooth because Isaiah is the mother effing tooth. And... I love it. I, I love that's that. really should be his nickname, right? On the literally the day that Paul Pierce's career ends, Isaiah yeah. Thomas 
becomes the, the mother effing tooth. It just with an F too. Like I, I, I kind of threw it out there on Twitter. And nobody was really buying on it, but or biting. But he is the tooth. He's the he's the MF and tooth. But I, and then I'm thinking, all right, well, let's just put an F on the end, right? Because that's what it would sound like if he didn't have his tooth. So there we go. He's the MF and tooth. But <laughs> we have to talk about Paul in a little bit. But it didn't seem to phase Isaiah. It, it just, it, I mean, the replays of his tooth flying out of his mouth are almost bizarre. Just looking at the expression on his face, like, oh, there it goes. It's just, it's weird. He, Yeah, I know what you mean. It really seemed like that was the least of his worries. You know, and I remember, <laughs> to take it back to the truth, there was a, a game that he played against yep. Phoenix. Hit the hard, hit the floor yep. hard the floor and hard. lost his two front teeth, right? Right. It was bad, and he had a double root canal surgery. This was the day that Tommy Heinsohn lost his friggin' mind, and he it's there's an infamous clip you can find it on uh, on YouTube. This is the time. I, this is uh, this is Amir, uh, Amari Stoudemire's rookie year. They're playing Phoenix, and he sees. Uh, you know, I can't remember who it was, and it, it was just, it's one of his epic rants. And, and if you find it, it's, just look, just search Tommy Heinsohn, Phoenix Suns, Celtics. It's like the 2000, 2001 season. But anyway, it kind of brought me back to that, oddly enough, because I'm thinking about that, you know, obviously thinking about the truth and everything happening today and what, what happens, you know, you know, IT loses the tooth, but, Going, but what we're saying is it's just the parallel there, right? The parallels are huge, and everything that's going on with him right now. I mean, obviously, my God, what you know, going to your sister's funeral, flying into Boston at four a.m., playing a one p.m. game. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, to get three points is something, but to, to do thirty-three and nine, and you know, just control the game. I mean, wow. What an impressive effort by that guy. I mean, he's getting stronger. Jeez. That's what's yeah. bizarre. It's, it really is. And I, you know what I think it is too is this is an incredible team all of a sudden. Just the way that they're lifting each other up, the way that, the way that guys are performing. I mean, I think Jay Crowder's quote after the game about Terry and Jalen was that they're getting their chance and they're seizing the moment. And they're getting stronger with every single game. I don't mean just Terry and, and Jalen. I mean the entire team. Like, they're starting to count on each other. I think the most notable thing when you say 33-9 and nine and his ability to not miss a beat and score and he goes back to the locker room, I mean, we would get scared. We knew that he would come back out and play. But you would be scared to not see Isaiah on the bench and at Brad's disposal in a highly contested game, especially one that started out 16 points down and no scoring, that he wouldn't be able to be called upon if there was a stagnancy in that second unit coming in. And instead, he goes to the bench, then he goes to the locker room. Nobody's. It, it was like they didn't even miss a beat in their comeback. That is what yep. really stands out. And then on top of it, the fact that Isaiah Thomas has begun to trust his teammates. Instead of doing that Paul Pierce before the big three thing where everybody <laughs> stands around and waits for him to work his magic, he is now incorporating other players, making some pretty nifty passes, some wraparounds to get out to the wing. He had a nice feed to Amir, but Amir was blocked and unable to finish today. But he is definitely looking to get 
other people involved. Forget the 33 points. He is not ball hogging. The flow is way better. I know, again, like you said, they had open looks and they didn't knock him down. But the flow of the offense is way better. And it doesn't feel like Isaiah has to carry them, even though he still does. Well, you know, and, and that's, I don't want to jump all around the game too much, but I, I think that, I mean, you're absolutely right. He's getting in the middle of that defense. And there were some times in this early in the Chicago series where the, the, the Chicago D, particularly in games one and two, they were ready for the drive and then the kick out. And they were turning around to IT and they were, you know, looking to, to, to pick those passes off. And for whatever reasons in game three and four, it was because it was better movement on the outside of those spotting up or whatever it was. But those passes were there in games three, four, and five and six. And so as we saw today, that's just, it's so deathly. I mean, not only can IT drive and kick, he can kick out 180 degrees almost. He can find somebody in the corner. He can find someone over his right shoulder. He can find someone over his left shoulder. And, you know, the, and, and then they're, and then they're moving the ball. They're making the one pass, the two passes, the three passes, you know, to find the guy in the corner. You know, Jalen Brown, when Jalen Brown comes in the game, hasn't played, dust them off balls off the kid, throw him in the game. It's only fourth quarter of the second round. What? What, what, what problem? You dust him out there and he gets an open three after, you know, a drive, kick, kick, boom. I mean, that's, that's, and, and the fact that they can rely on that kid to do that or that they are reliant on each other to do that. It all comes from that top guy down. You want to contrast that with what the Clippers did in the fourth quarter of their game. Chris Paul, pound, pound, pound the rock, pound the rock, drive himself and then Get a get a fifteen foot shot that that misses the mark. You're not going to win many games that way. Now, I don't care if you're Chris Paul, Isaiah Thomas, who I think most would agree isn't as good of a of a point guard as Chris Paul, uh, but he's more effective because he's looking to involve his teammates. He's looking. I'm not saying he's a better point guard than Chris Paul over the long run. Right now, he's playing better than Chris Paul. Yeah, he's well. We knew he was a gifted scorer, but now it's turning out that he's a pretty gifted passer and that does open up things for like Jay Crowder who yes. has struggled has struggled and he had a very nice game today i mean i know at one point he was 5 for 6 from beyond the arc i'm looking it up to see he finished 6 for 8 i mean 75% three point shooting fantastic but he had one of his better games they really needed him to then you look at somebody like al horford one rebound shy of a triple double i think he has done a nice job of shutting up the critics in this postseason cuz he's also only gotten stronger and and much more aggressive his his pace of play and his attitude are not the same as they are during the regular season. It's almost like during the regular season, he's trying to just do the right thing so that all the teammates stay involved. And it's not that he doesn't still do the right things, but he's patient. He's sort of calm. But he's got a chip on his shoulder now in the postseason. He's getting a little aggressive, getting a little bit more noisy. You can see much more emotion and expression from Al Horford in the postseason. And it's actually the guy that kicked our butts in the first round last year is 
actually finally now playing for the Celtics. And I don't want to criticize any of his regular season play because I never had a problem with it. I felt like everything was in the flow and, you know, he was being the consummate teammate. But now we're seeing a guy who is finishing a little bit more around the rim. He's excellent at the five. He's not complaining about playing the five. And the lineups that have worked for Brad have Crowder at the four and him at the five. And you and I have been talking about that all year long, that that's their best look. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it hasn't always worked. We talked about why, the size. And and interestingly, let's look at that. (laughs) You look at that closing lineup there. Of those two guys, IT, Bradley, and who do they go with the third guy? They, they did have Marcus in there, but they end up bringing in Jalen in. And why? Size. Same reason you had Gerald Green starting games against the Bulls. Size. To have that small forward have a little bit of size so you're not going to get beat on the boards every time. I thought that was interesting. But, but to your other point though, I, I think is really, um, really crucial. When they, so, the Wizards go on that run to start the fourth quarter. And, you know, Brad starts bringing the starters back earlier than I think he wanted to. And what I just, what struck me is how Al Horford took over that situation. You know, a guy who's been in the playoffs a billion times, who's been there, done it, has been in tough games, knows what needs to be done. And he just – there was a couple times he just he, – he brought the ball up himself and just said, boys, chill, relax, okay? I'm going to – we're going to slow this down. We're getting out of, out, of our, out of our heads here a minute. Let's just settle this down and run our game. It was like he was everybody's big brother, you know? It was like when your big brother comes out, he – Okay, hey, this is what we're doing here. Just everyone bring it down a notch. And within it, like – one possession of him doing that, IT gets a quick little 15-foot floater, a 15-foot jumper, boom, and and then they're kind of back to where they needed to be. Because it didn't happen initially when those starters came in. When IT came in and Crowder came in and those guys, it, it still was discombobulated. Yeah, they were fumbling along. In, they were fumbling along, no doubt. Horford brought it in, and he just brought, it, brought the temperature in the room way down, and then everything kind of found its level again. Very important. Great game for Al Horford. Huge game. Huge game. And I, and I do like him at the five. What I think is so interesting with Brad Stevens is every time they're sort of getting out muscled with size, he winds up going smaller and still beating the size disadvantage. It's incredible. And it's, granted, against the Bulls, a lot of it was Gerald Green, but now already in one game into the Wizards, series and it's not Gerald at all it's Jalen it's Marcus so you always get these different looks but it's funny to me that ultimately the solution for Brad is to go smaller the other thing I like about that Jalen sub as you mentioned going down the stretch in the fourth quarter is not just the length but also the switchability if you really think about every single one of those players it's really not going to kill them in a switch Isaiah always could get killed in a switch. But he's even causing more havoc for some of the bigger players when he gets into it. Sometimes Brad just elects to put him on the tallest guy on the court anyway. Um, but that's what Jalen does. It's a little bit different. Not that Marcus can't play bigger, but he plays stronger. Jalen plays quicker. So if they've got to rotate around, that's 
a huge advantage for them. So I don't know what, what they'll do to start out game two. It'll be interesting um, if he has another wrinkle. I just there was even a moment in the game where I was like, well, let's get in Jarebko. We need somebody who's going to really crash the boards and still threat a little bit from the outside to, to drain a, a big shot. But he's got so many different looks. It's almost like you're watching a college basketball team playing in the NBA, right? <laughs> that's great. That's great. Yeah, it is. It, it is. I mean, and that's the way his, his Butler team's played. And and you're right. They they bring the scrap. You know, <laughs> they do. And I think that Marcus Smart probably inhabits that world as, as well as anybody. His ability, I mean, he really – we haven't talked enough about what he did today and what he's done really throughout this season, but he really turned the Bulls series around. I think, I think he really turned around, uh, you know, this game today. I mean, his presence and what he does out there defensively, it just, it takes everybody out of what they want to do, whether it's Beal or it's Wall or whether it's Butler, or whether, you know, it doesn't matter who it is. He just has a way of making those plays that turn the psychology of the game around. He's it's not about the numbers of him, it's about the psychology and about what he makes he makes players make decisions for themselves that, that maybe aren't in their best interest because he takes away their first option. He's like he is the player equivalent of Bill Belichick. He will take away your first and second option and make you do the third or fourth thing that you really don't want to do, but you have to do to score. That's what he is. He's got that much ability to just turn a player, but then that player's component into the larger picture. I mean, just so freaking impressive what that guy does. Um, you gotta love what, what, and what, what he does and, and, and going along with that. I think he was working so hard out there. I don't think he had much left in the fourth quarter. I think that's why, partly why we saw Jalen Brown in that, in that, those closing minutes of the fourth quarter because he took himself out there at the start of the fourth. He said, I, I, I need a break. You know, I, I think he was so amped up for this game. Um, this is a team he really does not like. Remember a lot of this stuff with the Wizards started with he and John Wall two years ago. Yeah, and you know, some stuff with Randy Whitman and that that was the game. Things started going awry. And this has been going on for a while, but he was at, at the, the epicenter of a lot of it, which really surprises nobody. Uh, but yeah, yeah, no, that's he's a bully. He's a defensive bully and he gets after it and he's not afraid to mix it up despite whatever Jimmy Butler says. And Marcus, you're right. A lot of that, a lot of that tension between these two clubs, the supposed rivalry, all came from two years ago. And he probably was totally amped up for the game, but I think he's amped up consistently. I like the way he's shooting the rock. Right now, he's hitting some clutch three pointers and he's not taking the ill-advised one or the, um, pre, the requisite Marcus Smart. It's at the end of the first quarter. I'm going to heave one kind of attempt. He's really playing a little bit more within himself offensively. We don't see him pressing as much as he ordinarily might offensively. And then defensively, I think he's tiring out the opponent. So, yeah, he got exhausted. That was a great observation. I missed that, John, but I think you're right. He probably just got tuckered out. At the same time, though, he the opponents, because of the depth, and I think we'll hit this uh, when we come back from the break, but because the Wizards don't have as much depth, and even the Bulls struggled with depth definitely at the guard positions, what happened there is he just wore them the heck out. You can't play Jimmy Butler 
48 minutes a game. But that's what the Bulls were going to have to do. And ultimately, over the course of a season, he's fighting up against Bradley and he can't find any breathing room. Then he's got to deal with the physicality of Marcus Smart. The, 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 not Isaiah, but the other guards and wings are really making the opponents when they dig in. When the Celtics dig in, making the opponents work so hard. And I think it's going to have the same impact on Wall. I think the, I think, I think maybe not so much Beal, but maybe, but definitely Wall because he's got the ball in his hands so much. He could get tired out. And they may have to overplay these starters. And I think that's a huge advantage for the Celtics. And just look at how deep Brad has his bench. So to contrast, Marcus Smart gets tired. No big thing, dude. Sit down, relax a little bit. We're going to throw in Jalen. And Washington just doesn't have that luxury. So maybe we could talk a little bit about the the benches when we come back from the break. But real quick, going to tell you about Blue Apron and their mission to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. So they set the highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers. Here's the best part. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes, and it's all pre-portioned, the ingredients, all for you to make delicious home-cooked meals. And you can customize your recipes each week based on your preferences. No weekly, weekly commitment. You don't like seafood? Uncheck seafood. You like chicken? Go ahead and check that. You can customize it. You can pass on certain weeks. There's no commitment every single week, like I said. And so if you're going to be traveling or you guys you are going to go out to eat or you got family visiting, you just skip a week. It's really easy. Some of the upcoming meals, spinach and fresh mozzarella pizza with olives, bell peppers, and ricotta salada, sweet and sour salmon with bok choy, carrot, and ginger fried rice, parmesan crusted chicken with creamy fettuccine and roasted broccoli, and baby broccoli and fontina paninis with hard-boiled egg and arugula salad. So check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free, and it's with free shipping, so literally no cost to you. And all you have to do is go to blueapron.com slash Celtics, you will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash Celtics. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. And I know you want to be going to the games because the Celtics are on fire. Maybe at the next game you'll see Isaiah Thomas's tooth fly out. But as the playoffs are just heating right up, the Celtics are in the second round. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every game. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, and it's fully guaranteed. There's nothing like being in the TD Garden for the biggest plays of the year, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get you the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that are going to fit into your your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And it doesn't end with sports. SeatGeek also has plenty of concert, comedy, and theater tickets available, too. Best of all, our listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, just download the SeatGeek app, go to the Settings tab, and click Add a Promo Code, and you're going to put ours in there. It's CSL 2017. SeatGeek will then send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. So download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code CSL2017 today. Okay, John, so 
with the whole uh, depth thing, it really could catch up to the Wizards, even if Markeith Morris hadn't gotten injured. That's that's kind of my take. I think that this game would have been more difficult for the Celtics to win if Morris had been had not had to go out. But I think the Celtics obviously kicked up their play and their energy level too. So I think they might still come away winners. When you look at the final score, it's kind of incredible because the Wizards almost scored 40 points in the first quarter, and they, they really had a chance to put up another two twice before that ended. But they wind up with only 38 points, and then you look at the final score, and everything dropped off substantially. I don't think we can credit all of that to Markeith Morris, but the Celtics, their depth bench has having its way with the Wizards bench already. That was a, a huge turning point in the game, as you mentioned, with Kelly Olynyk and Smart. But they just can't hold court. And I think they will get worn down. I know I kind of talked about that already before we went to some of the commercial break and talked about our sponsors, but didn't give you a chance to talk about the depth matchup here because that's a huge edge for the Celtics. It's a big, it's a big edge. You know, it allows them to uh, to come in, you know, and yes, you've got the, the timeouts and situations which will, which will lengthen the starters and, and all that. But I mean, just look at the, that end of the sec- end of the first quarter, start of the second quarter run, you know, basically where the Celtics couldn't buy a bucket. And I'm not saying, I'm not trying to discount that and say, well, it doesn't matter. But let's say the Celtics make just a handful of those shots and, and the Wizards miss a handful of those shots and it's somewhere close. I mean, not 16 zip. I mean, that, that, when that second unit comes in and you're relying on guys that, that like Kelly Olenek and, well, Marcus Smart, I suppose, coming in off the bench there, uh, you know, you, when you have players like that coming in to, who can do a lot of things, they can play big, you know, for Smarty, if he's got a little guy on him, he can go in the post. If, if Kelly's got a small guy on him, he can, he can post him up. They got matchups. They, they can do a lot of different things to kind of switch it up. You know, as opposed to what Washington has, which is, you do have some flexibility with Ubre. You've got, you know, Brandon Jennings, who obviously has is, is played a number of years in this league and knows how to score the basketball pretty well. Jason Smith actually had a pretty nice run there at the end of the third, start of the fourth. But Bogdanovich hit a couple of threes, but there's a lot of limitations on all of those players. And unless you, you know, you keep a couple of your starters in, which they were doing often, it's just such a thin rotation for the Washington Wizards. And I just feel like there's, there's a lot more options that Brad Stevens can throw at the Wizards to kind of throw them off around those end of the first, start of the second quarter, end of the third, start of the fourth. Those bench unit times, I think this is a situation where maybe the Celtics won't be hitting shots like they were today or were they like they were in game six, uh, much of game six against Chicago. But I do think that they have a lot more answers in those stretches than the Wizards do. And so that's a plus right there. If they can weather the storm in the opening minutes of the game and they can take back some of that momentum in, in those, you know, in those periods there around the quarters, uh, I feel like that's a huge plus for the Celtics. And I think that 
that flexibility, that positional flexibility this team has is really going to be a problem for Washington as this, as this series progresses. I, I think maybe, the, you know, the, the big man rotation today was a little bit thinner because of those injuries like we talked about. But I think still at the end of the day, this is going to be a game that, or a series that's decided on the perimeter as opposed to the battle of the last series, which was bigs versus the smalls. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And also, just look at how Scooter Brooks had to manage his timeouts. By the fourth quarter, pretty thin. And that's something, to your point, about the depth. Yeah, I call him Scooter. Because he was all, he was all, he was all upset because Kelly Olenek pushed. And I'm like, well, if Gortat can grapple, you know, this was kind of my tweet. I was like, listen, Scooter, if, if, if Gortat can grab and pull, then Kelly can push. That's just the way it's going to be. But, yeah, Scooter Brooks ran right out of timeouts. He didn't know what to do. And I think that's a huge edge. When you talk about the different looks that Brad has at his disposal, I think the other real key to the depth too is that the Celtics are healthy, knock on wood, and all of that, you know, but they're healthy. I, I, I hope you did because I definitely I have a wooden desk in front of me and it's really <laughs> important that they stay healthy. But one of the ways you stay healthy is you don't play fatigued. And that's exactly Washington, probably a little exhausted. We're going to talk about the quick turnaround in a second before game one after both Washington and the Celtics went to six uh, in their respective first-round series. But healthy and rested. And I just think Brad can manage the minutes. These guys can get a break. And that's how you stay healthy and a little less banged up and more effective in the postseason, it's a huge, huge advantage for them. And when you look at a lot of the pre-series analysis, there were two things that stood out. The Celtics had the bench and Washington didn't, but a lot of the pundits said, well, it's just the way it always goes in most series in the NBA. The team with the better player is the one that comes away with the victory. And not yep. in a per game, but in a full series. So here's the thing I wanted to throw at you, just leaping off of that. Do you buy into the fact that John Wall is the best player in the series? Definitely not. Definitely not. It, look, we're going to be completely biased about this. All right. But, but if I'm, if I'm casting my MVP votes for the year, right? I'm 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 going to go Westbrook, Harden, Kawhi, LeBron, Isaiah. I'm not giving a vote to John Wall, dude. That's I not even rules. that's not even as Homer as I don't think so. You're, I think, you, you know, think you, that's, you, that's a very out. fair, and I agree with that. And and the other thing is John Wall's defense is no better. Than Isaiah's no. right now, and so and, that's right. that's. Look at LeBron. Look at all the people. I just want to tie it to the people you just threw out there, with maybe the exception of Westbrook. Look at every player you threw out there. Every single one of them has an opportunity or has impacted the game, not only offensively, scoring, distribution, key cog, and in, in in putting. You know, hey, you can't win if you don't put points on the board. But the truth is, is LeBron can impact the game defensively and win it. Uh, well, I guess Harden, Harden's actually picked up his defense quite a bit, but I think we would have ordinarily said in years past, primarily just an offensive player. Right. But outside of him and Westbrook, but you talk about Kawhi, you talk about LeBron, these are guys that can literally impact the outcome of a game with their defensive effort, and Wall isn't there. And Isaiah, I mean, there's a size limitation, but not always an effort limitation. I think that, I think this is going to be a series that Isaiah is 
and we saw it a little bit, I think, in the Chicago series. I think Isaiah is going to play the defense of his life in this in this playoff run. I really think that he's tired of hearing about how he's such a bad defensive player. You know, and, and like there was that whole give and take there between he and Bradley, and Bradley's like, I think you're a good defensive player. And, and it's I, like, don't hype like, me. Don't hype yeah, me. Don't hype me, man. <laughs> I think that's great. You know, because you're right. I mean, yeah, let, no, let's sleep on it, guys. Don't, don't realize he's, he's as good as he is. Because you're right. He, he comes into this series and he can just not get back down and they have to shoot over the top of him. That's the easiest thing, right? And as long as it's not Brad Beal taking 15 foot jumpers over him, that worries me. If it's John Wall not getting past him, but having to take a jumper, I'm good with that. They'll take that any day. I think that there are a lot of matchups that, that are going to work in Isaiah's favor, you know, taking into account both ends of the court. Um, it's a, it has to be a concerted effort on his part to play both sides. And I think there's, we all know there's times this year he has not done that. But is the he, more of the offense he has to carry on his own, the less effort he can give on defense because he will get tired out. But you know, to, to that conversation, I was thinking about this during the game as I was watching it and I was thinking, you know, here's a guy to your, what you said earlier, he doesn't even get in this morning until 4 a.m. Um, he just had to deal with, obviously, you know, more emotions. I can't imagine he's slept all that well. And yet he comes out and just lays it all out there. I have to say there's something about the way he, like, his conditioning is incredible. His conditioning is has got to be, I don't know what he does, but he's got some serious leaping ability for his height. I mean, part of the reason he gets shots off is because he does elevate and then he gets into the body of, you know, the big man when he's driving into the paint and then he just waits for the contact. They're a little top heavy. He's compact and then he can finish and, and get his shot off. But he does carry an enormous load offensively and yet he throws all those points. He can still put some effort on defense and it's just amazing to me how hard he can play. And how much harder he has to play to be, you know, essentially what you said, an MVP candidate. And, and that's mind blowing to me. I, I'm, I, I didn't, never really thought about it before. And yeah, you, it's obvious he's athletic, but there's a conditioning thing there too that is above average to, you know, way above average. He's, he's a legitimate freak. You know, I mean, he's got long arms, so he's not as, He's, his arms are longer than his, his, he is tall. Not really, but you know what I mean? Proportionally. It closes the gap, so maybe he's playing right. like he's six foot, six one. Exactly. But it's still not, you know, six four. And, you know, but you're right. I mean, athletically, you know, he's going, he, first of all, we know he's quick. We know he's, he's quick in short spaces. We know that he can do those things, but, the endurance to be able to go fly cross country. I mean, hell, I got I got on a plane. This is the first time I've flown in forever. I got on a plane for two hours. I'm exhausted. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to do this. You do it a lot more than I do. I can't imagine flying cross country overnight on a red eye and then playing a basketball game. You know, probably one of those well, basketball games of my life. I'm with you, but seven hours mind, later, he's not flying coach, right? Hit Danny. This is true. Chartered a private jet. I'm sure he can get his feet up. I bet he can get some sleep. Um, you know, once once you get up up to cruising altitude, 
it's pretty much no bumps and you're smooth sailing. If you're commuting, then you're flying at lower altitudes. Not commuting, but if you're if you're doing more of a regional flight, you know, and I know your two hour flight wasn't regional, you were going up and down the east coast. But typically you're not hitting a lot of bumps. I I bet he got to stretch out. I bet he got to take a nap. I, I I'm sure that, you know, it's better than wherever he had the ability to sleep in, I bet it's better than the Marriott hotels I stay in. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, you know, but but it, it does impact his preparation. And even if you put all of that, let's just say, you know, it's like down comforters and the softest bed ever, the best pillows, and he did sleep a hearty 10 hours on the flight back, which I guess the flight wouldn't last that long. But regardless, let's just say he gets good sleep. <laughs> circle. Circle yeah, boys. Right. Let's send the refueling jets in. Right. Isaiah's like still that. sleeping. Just sit tight. Just sit tight. We'll <laughs> top gun this. So, I. But let's say all of that. It still doesn't matter because he is. You know, he's going to the funeral of his sister, and so that's got to take energy, oh. emotional energy. It's got to be draining, and and to your points, like for him to to shoulder so much of that offensive load. To be traveling, not necessarily, I mean, think about this too, preparation. You know, he said after the game six win against the Bulls, he told the team, you guys go do your, your work. I will do mine. I will be prepared for this game. And he was. He, he was, he was huge in this game. I mean, he was, he was just as great as he's been. As great as he's been. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fourth quarter, he didn't. He didn't put up a lot of points in the fourth quarter. Didn't, didn't need, need to. to. <laughs> you know, right. he did exactly what you were talking about earlier, which is he distributed. He found other guys. I mean, that's that's how, you know, Jay Crowder ends up six for eight from three-point land. And, you know, how Bradley, who really was ice cold for the first two, he did the reverse Bradley in this one where he, he was ice cold to start the game. Usually that's his thing. Start the game hot. Uh, ice cold to start and then finished, you know, quite a bit stronger. You know, that, that's as encouraging a sign as anything is that he found his level a little bit too. Um, which was, which is really nice to see. Um, you know, they, but they had help and they were able to, you know, Bradley was able to, to take that time because Terry Rozier was, was coming in there and getting solid minutes and, and Marcus obviously. I mean, well, Terry that, needs some love too because. Yeah, you're right. His, we got to talk about Terry. His, his rebounding and oh his God. energy level. And what about that dunk in game six where he just, Whoa. he elevated. I mean, I, I, I like popped out of my seat and was like loud and yeah. everybody's like, what? And I'm like, well, did you see that? <laughs> did you see that? And, I mean, it is such a nice combination with Smart and Rozier because Smart's a distributor and a defensive hound. And then Terry gets the rebounds from that guard position, a lot like the way Rondo used to, just elevates, go ups and goes up and gets it, comes out of nowhere and uh, knifes through and grabs it. I think he had eight rebounds in, in game one. And... The other thing is, he's a shooting guard. He's not meant to handle the ball and initiate the offense. Him and Smart are a great complement to each other coming off the bench, there's no doubt. And Terry, this is the second straight year where 
he's clearly becoming a playoff stud. He's like Vinny the Microwave. He's yeah. always ready when he comes in. He always gives the team meaningful minutes. Brad doesn't necessarily give him a ton, but there's never a playoff game where I can go, I didn't, when Terry came in the game, I didn't know what he gave them. He gives them a huge lift in energy and athleticism, similar to Smart, but in a very different way. He is, yeah, no, that's right. He, you know, he's, he's quickness, he's speed, he's pushed the pace, he's grabbed the rebound. I mean, he's, you know, it, it's kind of funny. He, you kind of, it's kind of like with Kelly Olenek. You know exactly what you're going to get out of Terry Rozier usually when, within the first two minutes of him being in the game. Because either he's, he's a complete mess and he's all over the place or he's like on it. You know, he's just on it. And in this game, and really since uh, this entire playoff run, he has been on it. He has been focused. He has been driven. And he's finding areas in which he can, the things he does can, can really help his team. And that's coming back to grab boards. And it's, it's pushing the pace. It's putting another athletic defender to throw at a guy like Wall or Beal. And I mean, man. <laughs> Dude, what more can he's you an, say about the guy? He he's, is an absolute he's, he's an absolute thoroughbred stud and he just wants to run. I mean, he would love for that for any game he gets into to just turn into a fast pace almost like the and one tour, just getting up and down, yeah. up and down, yeah. up and down, up and down. And that is a look that they don't get from everybody else. Not to that same level. I know guys like to get out on the break. And I guess maybe one other side note, because I know we won't get a chance to explore it, but the Celtics transition defense after those first four minutes was also stellar. And everybody gets on them for not rebounding and whatnot, but that's a lot of it's by design because even back to the Doc Rivers era, this team always valued transition defense over rebounding. But Terry gives you a little bit of rebounding in that transition defense because of that athleticism. You get a little bit of, of both worlds that way. Uh, absolutely. And, and it allows them, you know, this is a series too where the Celtics are going to do their best to avoid allowing the, the Wizards to get out and run. Right, which is really too bad for Terry Rozier. You'd think that would be putting him at a disadvantage because you know his speed obviously is a you know he wants to be able to go out and run, but that shows the growth in his game too. In that you know, well, he's always willing to push the pace and go, 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 go. He's like the greyhound. You're trying to you pull him back on the leash on so much. Right now, he you know he's using his speed appropriately. He's you know he's using defensively to to uh, to get back to to stay on his guys to you know to close out well. And those are the ways in which he's kind of using his gifts to to help the larger cause. And that's to me that that's a huge thing as the Celtics are kind of going through this series is if he shows that much poise in his own role. I, you know, I sent this tweet out the other night. He's shown more in at that point six playoff games, career playoff games. They had 164 regular season games combined. So true. You know, it, His it, value it, it, is in the postseason. Oh that's my gosh, when, that's when as he said, it's like the, like Vinny the microwave Johnson. You know, he he shows up when it, the the games seem to be their toughest, and that's that's got a great amount of value. I mean, the other thing I've, I've, I've got to be saying as I'm sitting back watching this is, if I'm an NBA, what a better 
advertisement for the value of the players on my roster than to have them playing in the playoffs and playing well. This is the first time, Danny. Yeah, when you talk about that. the off-season tradeability of some of these guys, Got Brad it. Stevens has given what Danny has done in the past. But again, you want to talk about the best of both worlds. You're got a, a bunch of young tradable assets. You're trying, you know, back to the Delonte West, Rajon Rondo, Al Jefferson, Kendrick Perkins, Tony Allen, all of those players that they were compiling to be able to trade, yet they weren't winning at the same time. But Brad is a totally different type of coach and Danny has gotten more astute in his GM capabilities because obviously landing Isaiah in in basically a steal of a trade and then being able to recruit Al Horford is is huge. And the organization was in a different place before the Big Three era. They got a little bit on the map, even despite the reconstruction of the team. But Brad's got a nice reputation around the league. But they are. They're getting the best of both worlds. Plus, they already are jam-packed with a bunch of, of tradable picks as well. So it'll be interesting to see what they do, but you make a great point. A lot of these guys are getting some run on the biggest stage, and they're obviously – that's one of those intangibles that you can't scout. And watching players come up and play big and big moments, even in limited minutes, is going to raise their their stock 100%. You're right about that. Hey, look, we got 10 minutes left. I know there's two things we want to talk about. One is the quick turnaround. So lots of positivity here for game one. And a, and a basically, like I said at the top, a sweep of the Bulls, if you think about it. Two games, uh, uncharacteristically poor play. Obviously, the Rondo injury is a factor. But they've won five straight. But that quick turnaround, curious. We're going to talk about that. And then obviously, with Paul Pierce playing his last game on Sunday with the Clippers before retirement, we've got to give, we've got to send Paul off into retirement with, uh, with a big thank you from, from you and I. So I am going to be a little negative just because I think the quick turnaround was total BS. There's no way, and I know there's plenty of people that have sounded off about this, but there is no way that the Cleveland Cavaliers, after a four-game sweep, should have an extra day off over the Celtics and Wizards. It's not even Celtics-centric. Both went six games. They should have had the extra time off. This Sunday afternoon matinee, it should have been Cleveland and Toronto. No questions about it. They did not. It's. I don't even understand how they came up with the scheduling. It's... It's, it's, it's ludicrous. And, you know, not only do the Celtics or the Celtics and, and the Wizards both done after the, the, whoever will be in that other series has been decided. I mean, that's the, I understand, I mean, they put aside for a second where the Cavs are because they swept their series and, and everyone would agree that, okay, they should go first, right? But, the Raptors knew who they were playing. They were they were done too early. So I I don't understand why you can't take care of both at the same time. I, I mean, don't know. Maybe maybe Thursday, maybe they booked the Rolling Stones at the queue on <sighs> Sunday afternoon or something, and so the, the you know it wasn't available. I, that's the only thing I can think of. I right. Mean, we, should, we should get an explanation. Really, we should. That something somebody must have somebody must have said Sunday is reserved. At the queue. Like they, we cannot play a home game in round one on Sunday, April 30th and set it ahead of time. And then the chips just fell where they may. 
that's the only explanation I could come up with that makes any rational sense because the NBA is, if they made if they made this for any other decision it's silly and it's stupid and it's it's actually dangerous in my opinion like they've already played two hard fought series you're giving them well the Celtics what one day off and then they've got to come back and play then on Sunday and the Cavs have already been resting for a couple of days the only other conspiracy theory that you could lay on it is just go right out there and be like, well, LeBron and Cleveland had a tough ending to the season. They were beat up. They were tired. LeBron even talked about it. It was pretty obvious. Then they get a four-game sweep, and so maybe they want Cleveland and LeBron at their best, and so they just give them a couple extra days of rest. I don't know. Could be, could be, could come to bite them in the in the butt, though. It might might set Toronto up for stealing a game one on Monday. It does, you know, it does give Toronto that extra day. And I think all we want to root for is a longer series. Whatever it takes to give Cleveland a longer series is a good thing for Boston or Washington or anybody. So let's just root for whatever it takes to get, get Toronto, uh, you know, a long lasting, you know, good hard run against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Whatever that takes. So if that extra day helps, do you say helps no Toronto shot. get there? Do you say no. no shot for Toronto or do you think they got a legit shot at going to the Eastern Conference Finals? I think they have a shot. I think they have a I shot. I, th- I they think they played them these... last year. They've had some experience against them. That Indiana team was trash. I mean, I love Larry Bird, you know, and I'm really sorry to see that he's walking away, but he knows that they've got some tough choices ahead because they don't have a team around Paul George. And unfortunately for Larry, he wasn't able to get, get that, get somebody to play with him. Who could really make a difference? I mean, all those games near the end of the season playing against Indiana. I mean, it's a, it's Paul and then nothing else. So it was such an easy series for the Cleveland Cavaliers. The fact they almost lost the first one and lost a couple. I mean, that's the first three games. They were all that was the lowest margin of victory. Yeah, for a four-game sweep in NBA history. So as much as it was a sweep, every single game was closely contested. And to your point. With one supporting star, supporting actor, alongside Paul George, maybe maybe that series goes six or seven. I think so. I think that there's a, a real legitimate case to be made that that a, a real team, if they play the Bulls, for example, I think that goes six six games. I really do. I think that that's uh, there's there's more to throw at them. And while the Bulls ended up being a bit of a toothless tiger in the end. Uh, I think that that would have been the type of player, the type of series, you know, with multiple aspects, multiple players to guard and to be concerned with that I think would have given Cleveland a bit part of a run. I don't think Indiana had enough in the tank. And so, the, you know, you look at what Toronto can do and ultimately they showed quite a bit. I think that perhaps Kyle Lowry's Starting to get back to where he was. I still don't think he's, he's where he was pre all-star break or before, you know, the injury, but I think that, that he's getting closer. I just don't know if they have enough. They don't have that guy really who can guard LeBron. I don't think that PJ Tucker is the answer there. I don't think DeMar Carroll is the answer there. That's, that's their, their Achilles. Why, why they really would they throw Ibaka at him? You know what I mean? Like, why not throw Ibaka at him? Yeah, well, I think I think if you go small, you're gonna to need to put him on love or put him. You know, I don't. If you if you're big though, and you got Valanciunas in there, 
Maybe. Maybe. Although I will say when they were closing out uh, Milwaukee the, the other night, they were running a Patrick Patterson Ibaka, PJ Tucker lineup with uh, De- DeMar DeRozan and Lowry. So it could be. It could be you end up just going with three really good sized forwards and then put Ibaka on him. I. I don't know. And I, use I, I, your fouls on LeBron. He's going to finish anyway. Yeah. So just use them. I don't know why people don't use their fouls on LeBron. It's almost like they're afraid to give him a hard foul, but they should bully his ass. They should absolutely bully him because if you don't and he's coming hard through the paint, that ball is going down, and it's probably going to be an and one because of your sally-ass foul. You have to go hard at him. That that might be a look that they could utilize. I, I don't know why the teams in the NBA don't use hard fouls, especially the Celtics with the depth that they have. Somebody like Jalen Brown could give them a good, and I get it. You don't want to be in the plus, and it's a non, you know, non-shooting foul, and the next thing you know, they go to the line, and I get that statistically, but I just think for certain players, and LeBron is definitely one of them, and maybe John Wall is one too, Having Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown using their fouls to bully those players up a little bit and keep them from like really opening the game up and getting ahead of steam is, I think there's some value in that. So who knows? Maybe Toronto will make that kind of an adjustment. We've got to wrap the show here, but we can't do it without, well, first off, Celtics will get Monday off and then they'll be back at it at eight o'clock Tuesday night for game two on TNT. But Paul Pierce, his season and career ends uh, after a loss to the Utah Jazz. I love the stat that's going out there that Doc Rivers left Boston, and in that four-year span, he, the Celtics may go farther this postseason than he's been able to take the Clippers during his entire reign. That's a really interesting stat, and you know I'm more of a, a Doc apologist where you're more of a pile-on and you know <laughs> slam on him, but... That that organization's got it. it. It's it's time. It's TNT. It's dynamite. Throw the throw the switch. They're blowing it up, and they're going to blow some of it up. They have to at this point. And I'd be surprised if Doc's still with the organization next season. I think a lot of changes coming from the Clippers. Maybe the Celtics benefit from that. Maybe they don't. In the meantime, though, I think they treated Paul right. You know, they made sure that they got yeah. home to L.A., right? That was a big, big thing that they wanted to do. So, um, you know, they treated Paul well, and it's his home. Englewood is home, and I know he has great respect for Boston. I'm not going to go on some long diatribe because his last game in, in Boston, uh, the way that that went down was very sentimental. Um, I definitely got choked up when he hit his final shot. It was it was just uh, a great honor for the way that the way that that last game in Boston got to be. But at the same time, I think we just have to put that final thank you to the truth because we have banner number 17 to thank. There was a time when he didn't want to be in Boston and he wanted to trade and, and to, to go and chase a championship and Danny made it happen for him here. And, uh, just there's going to be, I think I saw one person on Twitter said it probably the best that, Someday his kids are going to grow up and, and they're going to be disappointed they didn't get to watch his entire career. And he was a unique player with a unique skill set. And he, he was very entertaining from the Antoine Walker. And, you know, they, they shot that two, that duo shot three pointers like today's NBA when it wasn't yet, you know, in vogue. And 
Paul was just such a captivating player, a captivating person. And even though he did spell Rick Patino wrong in his goodbye tweet, I still love him. He, yeah, he misspelled a lot. <laughs> it, you know, he did. Paul, Paul, Paul does not have autocorrect on his phone. So that, that we know. And he also doesn't know how to find his emojis, as we also know. But, you know, we can forgive that for the fact that he's, he's Paul Pierce. He's the truth. The captain of the truth. Uh, I watched the game Friday night. I stayed up specifically because, look, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna miss Paul Pierce's last game as a pro. And I was rooting like hell to see, hope that they'd win. I really wanted to, you know, I wanted him to keep going. I wanted to play forever, you know, knowing it's gonna come to an end at some point, but, Somehow they pulled that game out on Friday night against, against, uh, you know, the, the, the Jazz, push it to game seven. And, you know, you, you never know. You know, you just, you hope that, you know, you kind of think back to the Red Sox and, and 04 and like, you know, hey, it's, you get Pedro, you get, you know, Schilling and then who knows what happens in game seven. And that's what I was kind of hoping. Who knows? Something crazy happens. Well, unfortunately, what happened is, the Clippers realized nobody can score, and they—that was it. It was over. Uh, they were done. And clearly, as a as a franchise, that that iteration of the Clippers uh, should be done because it's it's just not working for that group. Um, but at the end of that all, it's it's Paul Pierce is walking away. He's the only certainty of, of in Clipperland that we know isn't going to be there, and. For whatever it was in the end, and Doc's there. It's about him time his, his time in Boston. And that's what it, this whole thing is about. I watched every tribute, every tweet. Uh, I mean, I, I wore out the like button on my Twitter feed of of all the stuff that people were writing about Paul after that game. That you know today, after the loss, uh, the Players Tribune put together an outstanding, outstanding video of, you know, other players, other greats, Kobe, KG, David Ortiz, Donnie Wahlberg. I mean, just people from all over the NBA, all over Boston, I mean, everything. And just kind of re- remembrance of, of the guy and, and the player that he was. He's a great player. He went through some really hard times in Boston some of which we talked about here on the show. A lot of criticisms here on this show of Paul Pierce and some really lean times and advocating, you know, whether he should be traded to blow it up. And ultimately, Danny was able to make that magical trade happen, made that magical season happen. And we had some great times with Paul Pierce here. I'm, I'm going to miss him like hell. He was a hell of a player. And, you know, there are going to be, and there's going to be another Paul Pierce. I remember from the, the, the Larry Bird, uh, night in 90, in 92, 93, when they had, you know, Magic comes in and, uh, he's wearing the, the Laker thing and they pull it off. He's got the Celtics t-shirt underneath and he says that, you know, Larry, you're always going to say there's another, there's going to be another Larry Bird. He says there's never, ever, ever, Going to be another Larry Bird. And I feel the same way about Paul Pierce. There is never, ever, ever going to be another Paul Pierce. He is a, a he is a unique player. You can go through the draft guides and say, oh, this guy's like Paul Pierce. No, 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 no. There will never be another like that guy. He is he is a, an original. And uh like you, I, I'm uh I'm gonna be sad to see him go. 
But glad for the times we had with him here. I just wish he could have knocked the Jazz out because I think that really would have helped our chances of getting our Hayward. Hayward. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> That's the one thing I kind of, you know, like, oh, Paul, you could have helped us one last time. But, hey, that's all right. It's uh He had a good, hell of a good run and certainly did what he can. Yeah, you almost wonder if there isn't uh, a home in the Celtics organization for Paul in some sort of a role. Maybe not the Leon Poe role, but you wonder if maybe he doesn't, uh, he's often alluded to coming back to Boston and his relationship with Danny and, and maybe trying to, uh, to be involved in whatever capacity. I don't know, but we'll see. That's going to do it for this week though. The broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS radio mobile app as well as clnsradio.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CSL underscore Justin and at CSL underscore Duke. Thanks to everybody for tuning in and you can support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to give us a rating and a review on the show because your feedback is important to us. And a reminder, today's show was brought to you by Blue Apron and SeatGeek. They have a great deal for all of you listeners, but most importantly, you would be supporting our show and the CLNS Radio Network. A big thanks to the loyal audience who makes this all worthwhile for John and I, and for staff writer Samuel Elias, executive producer Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Radio, Nick Gelso, and my co-host John Duke. I'm Justin Poulin. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.